well. Did you guys uh, notice the River Jordan out in the parking lot when you came in today? It's kind of biblical. We did, did that just for you. And uh, Cactus, uh, good to see you guys and have you with us right now and uh, chapel and venue. And I just, before I pray, want to tell you something, and that's that the message you're about to hear on marriage is going to be the most amazing, wonderful, pointed message you've ever heard on marriage. And some of you are saying that's it. Yeah, you can clap that. And some of you are going, that's incredibly arrogant. Why did he just say that? And there's a reason I just said that, and it has nothing to do with me. It's because the thoughts I'm going to share with you over the next 35 minutes, I have stolen. I have plagiarized blatantly. I found them in this book here. It's, it's a black book. It's been around for a couple thousand years, and I, I pulled it off dusted it off, and it has some amazing things to say about marriage. And all four points, if you look at the outline that I'm going to share with you today, are taken right from this book. I take no credit for anything that I'm about to say. In fact, my prayer has been, as it always is, that, Lord, this would be your word to your people, and his word never returns void, and that anything that I say that's not in line with his will and truth would fall on deaf ears, and and that what we do over the next 35 minutes would change you because it's his truth. Amen? That's what we're after here for the next 35 minutes. So as I always do, let's bow and pray and ask God to bless us toward that end. Father, uh, we're here today because we want to worship you, we love you, we, we, uh, are, we've submitted our lives to you, and Lord, we also are interested in what your word has to say. Lord, there's no secret that 55 plus years ago when we named this church, we called ourselves Scottsdale Bible Church for a reason. And Lord, that's because we believe this book is life to our souls. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, look at what your word has to say today, not just about marriage, but about life, that God, you might uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, you might even open some of our eyes to the deep truths that you have given to us that can truly alter the course of our lives, or at least keep us on track. So Lord, change us now, I pray, through your word, and I pray this in Jesus' name, and we say together, amen. So you've probably heard this already, it's all over the news when it comes to how our culture is changing, and that is that there's a whole very large group of people in our culture today that are becoming less religious, but still maintaining spirituality. In other words, they are becoming less committed to religious institutions and programs, even religious ideas, but they're trying to maintain a sense of spirituality in their lives. And as one who reads regularly on church and religion and spirituality, I can tell you it's true that there's a very real trend in culture today toward this way of thinking, especially among younger adults. Two landmark studies were done in the last couple of years that have clearly shown this, the first by the famous Pew Research Center and the other by the trustworthy Public Religion Research Institute. And they both showed the same thing, and that is that nearly one quarter of Americans now identify as nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. They identify as those who have no religious affiliation. Imagine that, 25 Americans now. That number has tripled just in the last 25 years. And yet at the same time, this same group has increasingly, like year after year, increasingly considered themselves more spiritual. 
They're still into spirituality. They still believe there is something out there beyond themselves. They have a deep wonder about the universe. They have a sense of spiritual well-being. And so as late as 2017, there was a study done by the Public Religion Research Institute, and look at how they summed it up. I like this. They said, many people who disaffiliate from religion are not becoming secular, but instead are identifying as spiritual, but not religious. So there you have it. And that's what's happening in the culture around us today. People are shunning church more and established religion, but they're still very interested and into spirituality. And though I'm guessing that you and I and Cactus Venue and Chapel, all of us, might not have as many problems with institutional church and religion as those around us in culture do, though we have some concerns, maybe not as many, uh, I, I don't mind our culture wanting to be interested in spirituality because I too am interested in what a robust spirituality looks like, whether you are religious or not. In other words, if our culture doesn't want to be in re, into religion, but wants to be into spirituality, here's what I need to tell you guys. That should be fine with us. In our daily interactions with people around us, we should say, amen. I don't want to talk to you about religion, but I'd be happy to talk with you about spirituality. And then to ask people, what is it that you're interested in spirituality? What does a robust spirituality look like for you? How do you know what spirituality you should choose? You see, these are all questions that we can now dialogue with an interested culture around us. We can dialogue with them about that. And so as we wrap up our two-week look at marriage here at Scottsdale Bible, I want to talk to you today. Let's go with what our culture is doing. I want to talk with you today about what a spiritual marriage looks like. Not a religious marriage, but a spiritual marriage. What does it entail? What are some of the markers that we could know if we have one? What's a spiritual marriage about and how do we get there? Four things I want to share with you today that I believe are hallmarks, key ingredients to a spiritual marriage. And I'm going to let you in on something right now. The four things I'm going to share with you aren't just about marriage, though they apply poignantly to marriage, but they're also about all of life and how you can have a dialogue with people around you about what spirituality can and should look like. I think this will help us in all areas of life. But four things that no matter what your circumstances are in your marriage, no matter what your past is, whether you're married or not here today, whether you're looking to get married or not, four things that can add a robust spirituality to our marriage and really to our life. And here's the first thing, you probably guessed this already, and that is that a spiritual marriage is biblically based. A spiritual marriage, or even just a spirituality in general, should be biblically based. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, Jamie, look, obviously I know you're going to talk about the Bible here, but you know, not everybody believes the Bible. Not everybody believes it's a source book for spirituality. And so what do I do with that? And let me share with you what you do with that right now. When I'm dealing with people who are not believers, not Christians, who don't have a respect for the Bible, I usually begin by asking them, do you believe that every belief, every worldview must have some source of knowledge attached to it? In other words, does a worldview have to be backed up by some 
piece of knowledge that you got somewhere, yes or no? And what do you think most people answer to that? Yes. Christians, non-Christians alike, all believe that you need to have some sort of knowledge. Academicians call this epistemology. It simply means the study of knowledge, the study of how we know what we know. And there's all sorts of sources for our knowledge. It could be history. Somebody said it a long time ago. It could be philosophy, men and women who sit around and theorize through rationality and intellectual discipline. It could be science, the empirical study of nature and the world around us. It could even be intuition. That's a legitimate epistemological source, this idea that I know it's true because I sense that it is true. It doesn't always make it true, but that's a legitimate thing to to at least look into. Certainly others might be a source of knowledge for us. Neighbors, parents, Oprah, People get their knowledge from all different places of how we claim to know something is true. But think about it. We're going somewhere with this. It has to come from somewhere. It has to have a source somewhere or it's just craziness. And what I would submit to you today is that first and foremost, as we talk about a spiritual marriage or even spirituality in general, is that a robust spirituality bases its source of knowledge on the Bible. And the reason that that is true is that there aren't too many religious books out there today. There are a few other than the Bible, but this book is the most long-standing, it's the most tried, and it's the most least found wanting of any spiritual book that's ever been written. And that's not an overstatement. The Bible has been the source book for spiritual truth for thousands of years now. And here's what I say to my seeking friends quite often. It has never let anybody down. You can disagree with it. You can say, I don't think it's true. But I personally have never met anybody yet who has tried the truths of the Bible who have actually said, I believe these things and then based their life on them, who came back to me and said, nah, just not true. I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure now that I've said it publicly, somebody's gonna email me this week with their story of how they tried. It's just that without mentioning it that way, nobody's ever volunteered that to me. People argue with me all the time about whether the Bible is true or not. Never met anybody that actually tried it and came back and said, ah, nah, it's just not true. But look with me at how the Bible self-attests to this idea. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is the key phrase right here. All scripture is inspired by God. It's fascinating, in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, this phrase, inspired by God, you ready for this, is one word in the original Greek, and it's a made-up word. It's true. When Paul the Apostle was penning these words here in in, in Timothy, writing to Timothy, he he, he got to this point where he wanted to describe how, how the Bible came into being. And what he did is he took two very common Greek words, the Greek word theos, which means God, and the Greek word noustos, which means breath, and he put them together. And he made up a word called theonoustos, and he penned it there for Timothy. And what the phrase literally means is divine breath. 
that all scripture has come to us through God breathing through these very human authors over a 1500 year period of time in all different types of genres, all different types of cultures from Hebrew culture to to Greek and Roman culture and God was breathing through it the whole time. All scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. In other words, this is why we say this is his book to us because though he used imperfect people to write it, it was his perfect will being breathed through them. That's what the Bible is self-attesting to right here. And then to be sure, it's useful for teaching and for training. Those are two words that talk about guidance in our lives. It's useful for reproof and correction. Helps get us on the right track when we get on the wrong track. This book is the kind of book you can rely on when it comes to your life and for our purposes today, even when it comes to your marriage. I love how Abraham Lincoln said it so well years ago. A guy who kind of, you know, read the Bible and and understood it. He said, this great book is the best gift God has given to man. But for it, we could not know right for wrong. And, and, And he's right. And yet here's the problem with the Bible when it comes to marriage, especially when it comes to marriage. And you guys got to be ready for this. And that is that there are so many of us that give lip service to the Bible. We believe the Bible. We say it's a great book, that it's God's word to us. And we sing songs about it on Sunday morning. We say amen on Sunday morning. We believe it on Sunday morning. But then when things get really difficult... On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I find that people get a little less confidence in what the Bible says, especially when it says something to you that you don't want to hear. It happens to me quite often where somebody will, you know, have a wonderful church experience and then rough waters will hit on Wednesday, say the marriage goes south, and they say to me, hey, pastor, you know, pray for me, my marriage is in trouble. And then they say, I'm thinking of doing this, And you can fill in the gaps on what this is. And I'm not a rocket scientist, but I say, well, this, I can tell you right now, is not biblical. The Bible says that would be a big mistake for you to do this. And they look at me like, I wish you had not put that in my face. I wish you had not said that to me. And they don't say it, but honestly, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, I'm not going to do it. Even though the Bible says that I want to do my own thing. See, what's wrong with that picture? We believe the Bible when things are going well. We believe it on Sunday, but on Wednesday when things aren't going well, we want to push back on it. And Christian, here's my point to you. If you believe that the Bible is the word of God, if you believe it is God's book to you, which we have for thousands of years now, then here's my encouragement to you. You ready for this? And that is read it, know it, trust it, and most importantly, obey it. That would have been a great place for an amen, so let's take another run at that. (laughs) Read it, know it, trust it, and obey it. It's really true. I know it sounds too easy. It's not, but I've been living my life this way now for 38 years, ever since I came to believe in Jesus. And there are times where I am confronted with the truths of Scripture, whether in my marriage to my dear wife Kim or my relationship with my elders or with my kids, and I read something in the Bible and I say, I don't like that. And have you ever had that experience? And I'm tempted just like you to fudge on it and sort of put that one off to the side on the back burner or just rip it out of the Bible myself and say, I don't want to believe that part. But but that's not going to help my soul. 
Again, let's go back. We're going to move on here in a second. Let's go back to where we started. I've never met anybody yet who actually trusted and lived the words of the Bible and regretted it. I have met a lot of people who said this is hard stuff to live. I have met people who say I don't want to live this. I have met people that say that this feels like I'm eating broccoli and I want to eat a lasagna. I mean, I get that. But I've never met anybody who digested the broccoli of Scripture who in the end said, I'm glad I did that. They all do that. And you can as well. So when it comes to all that the Bible says about your marriage, and by the way, it says a lot because it talks about finances, intimacy, child raising, conflict resolution, grace, forgiveness, patience, sexuality, values, morals. I mean, it talks about all these things that affect our marriage. Read it, know it, trust it, and obey it. It won't let you down. What does a robust spirituality look like when it comes to marriage? It is biblically based. Now, We're just ramping up because the second key ingredient to a spiritual marriage is just as potent, if not more, as this first one. And this one really is the heart of it all. I can just tell you this right now. And that is that a spiritual marriage is Christ-centered. A spiritual marriage is Christ-centered. Now, I need to make a very important distinction here right now that we all need to dial into if we're going to understand what the Bible means by Christ-centered. And and, and to help us with it, I'm going to make a distinction between what our culture calls faith-based and what the Bible calls Christ-centered. How many of you, show of hands, Cactus Venue Chapel, raise your hand, have heard the phrase faith-based before? Almost all of us. It's our culture's way of trying to talk about spirituality or even religious things, ready for this, without getting in your face about it. And so it's a lot easier to say, I'm a man of faith, or I'm a woman of faith, or I'm into this faith-based initiative, than it is to say I'm in love with Jesus and he's the Lord of my life. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to either use the phrase faith-based or even to be faith-based. Don't walk out of here today thinking that. I was at an event Friday, a fundraiser for a wonderful charity here in the Valley, and I was a keynote speaker there, and as they were you know, ramping up to introduce me, they probably used that phrase faith-based a dozen times because there was a lot of secular business people there and Christian business people, and we're all kind of rallying around this charity, and they wanted to be sensitive, and I get that. Of course, the first thing I did when I got up was talk about Jesus. But other than that, I I understand why we do that and what what we're trying to do with that. Here's the problem, though. Here's what we have to be careful of, is that if we buy into completely this idea of faith-based rather than Christ-centered, you're in trouble in your spirituality. You see, faith-based is subjective and hazy. When people say, I'm a man or a woman of faith, I want to ask faith in what? Faith in whom? And what does that faith entail? When somebody says, I'm in love with Jesus and he's the Lord of my life, I don't have too many questions with that one other than are you really submitting to him? Uh, When I hear faith-based, I think culturally trendy. When I hear Christ-centered, I know it's gonna make people squirm. When I hear faith-based, I know that everybody believes that. When I hear Christ-centered, I go, no, only the Bible really talks about that. 
Let's let make clear what we mean by Christ-centered, because this really is the key to a, a, our, our marriage. In John 1, 16 and 17, John introduces us to who Jesus is, and he says, for of his, Jesus' fullness, we have all received, we received of his fullness, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, let's keep with our theme of spirituality today, and let me ask you a question. I put it there in yellow. How many of you with a hand raise would agree that grace and truth would be important to any type of spirituality? Raise your hand if you'd agree with that. A vast majority of you. Let me give you a hint right now. Just about everybody in culture would agree with that. They would say that most religions or spiritualities need to have truth behind it and certainly some form of grace and love, mercy and compassion attached to it. So we've just agreed that a robust spirituality, a spirituality that's going to take you somewhere, has to have grace and truth as components to it. Now, what is the Bible saying? Because again, a, a spiritual marriage is biblically based. Grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ. So this is why Christians talk about Jesus all the time. He's the incarnation of God. He's the revelation of the Father. He is the one who came to show us what grace and truth are about. Now watch this, and even be the vehicle for you and I getting grace and truth in our lives. This is why the Bible says you need to believe and trust in Jesus if you're going to have salvation because he is the vehicle for salvation that God has given us. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, we're just ramping up because with that understanding, look at how the Bible then goes on to describe Jesus. It uses a word that you and I, I hear Christians use all the time, and I got to believe that the onlooking world has no idea what we mean by this word. Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans chapter one, uh, verses seven says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord appears like hundreds of times in the New Testament, almost always associated with Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called together to be holy with all those everywhere who call on the name of the, let's just mouth this word together. Uh, say it with me. Lord Jesus Christ, there and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. You guys say that like you're at a funeral. But anyways, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over again, the scriptures refer to Jesus as Lord. And I hear Christians use this phrase all the time, don't you? Hey, how you doing today, spiritually? Well, I'm really close to the Lord. And, you know, I came to know the Lord when I was in third grade. And, you know, I followed the Lord and, and, the, and the Lord answered this prayer. And again, if I didn't know anything about Christianity, I'd go, who the heck are you talking about? And why do you call him the Lord? I, I mean, well, what's that all about? It's actually a really good descriptive phrase of the guy we're talking about. The Lord in New Testament times, you ready for this, means absolute authority, one who is in absolute and final control. It means one whom you submit to fully and take all your directions from. It is true that the word Lord, Greek word kurios, was used uh, to describe rulers back in the first century, but that's because that's exactly what they wanted from you. I mean, if you were in an aristocratic society and the king is there, you'd call him Lord because 
He demands absolute submission. He is going to control your life. It's his kingdom, not yours. You're just a little pawn and a part of it. That's why they called them Lord back then. And bouncing off that, people would look at Jesus and in a much bigger way, much more life-giving way, they'd say, when it comes to my spirituality, he is, say the word with me, Lord. He's the Lord of my life. I love how C.S. Lewis said it when he was alive and writing about Jesus and his lordship. I think he said it so well in his book, The Way to Glory. He said, he, Jesus, cannot bless us unless he has us. When we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of death. Therefore, in love, he claims all. There's no bargaining with him. I think that's the posture that God has toward you. Maybe now you can see why I said earlier, this isn't about being faith-based. This is about being Christ-centered, that Jesus is the Lord. And here's my point to you, is that when it comes to your marriage, develop a Christ-centered marriage in which Jesus is the Lord of all. You know, I I know the risk I'm running as I talk about these things like being biblically based and, you know, the lordship of Christ because people go, oh, I've heard that before and it just sounds too easy. I want to come out of my chair. In fact, let me do it. I want to come out of my chair when people say it's too easy. Anybody here ever tried submitting to the Lord Jesus each moment of each day? Is that easy or hard? It's hard. I had two guys pray for me before the service today, uh, Gary and his other brother, Gary. And, and Gary and Gary were praying for me. And, and as they had their heads bowed, one of them said, uh, we're thankful that our pastor keeps constant contact with God. I wanted to run out of the room the second they prayed that. Because I thought a lightning bolt might hit me. Because I don't keep constant contact with God. Now let me give you a little hint here. I try I try to stay close to God and I talk to him all the time, but my mind wanders, my heart wanders. I get angry. And it was hard to picture that. I get angry. And and so many things come into my life every moment of every day that it's a fight each moment of each day to stay submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. But I'm in that battle, what the Bible calls the good fight. And I'm constantly fighting to keep Jesus Lord. Because here's what I know. And again, I, I... I just hope you believe this because it's your, it's your ace in the hole, it's your linchpin, it's the core to all of this is that I've never met anybody, I've never met any couple who kept Jesus as, as Lord and wasn't able to make it through all the difficult times. My wife Kim is here today and I can tell you right now, I shared some of our marital difficulties last week and I can just tell you right now that, that our ace in the hole has been that she has Jesus as Lord, I have Jesus as Lord, and for no other reason than that, we stay in our marriage when things get rough. Because it's the Lordship of Christ that gives us the kind of spirituality that can weather any storm. I wanna show you a a story right now, one of our famous My Stories, and this one's fresh off the press. It's with Maurice and Katie, and they had, had an amazing story I'll just give you the backstory real quick. It won't be a spoiler alert at all, but they got divorced and they had young kids and it was a really rough road. But then both of them, and you'll hear Maurice's words more specifically, uh, started to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Listen close for that and watch 
what happened in this amazing story that's still being told right now in our church. Look up here on the screen. I grew up in Southern California. Katie and I, we first met. She used to come in my gas station and get coffee every single morning. And ever since our first day, we were pretty much inseparable. I think we had struggles a little bit during the dating, but, but after a couple years of dating, we did get married. I started opening several businesses and I was admittedly very stressed. I tried not to take it out on Katie or the kids, but I was just irritated, stressed, and I ended up bringing it home. And that's when we started on Promise. We did try counseling. You know, I think for the couple years, we probably just tried talking or working through, and it just, I don't think we were really getting anywhere. I really did not like going, and um, I wasn't really open to it, to be totally honest with you. And just out of pride and sheer ignorance, I didn't feel like we had that big of a problem. We left one of those times, and he was just so angry. And I just knew, I knew that nothing was gonna change, and I knew that if anything would change, unfortunately, it would be after I left. Even though she had told me before, I just didn't think we were gonna get divorced. I didn't think that Katie would leave. I moved back in with my parents and we shared kids back and forth. We didn't want the kids to be without us for long periods of time, so we both really decided that we wanted to exchange often. I was just devastated. I mean, that was rock bottom for me. The reason I was working and pushing myself so hard was to take care of our family. And I felt like I was working that hard, got myself stressed out, and I ended up losing my family. My pride the way I was, I would have never changed in my life unless we got divorced. At that point, I started thinking about when was I happy? Why was I so miserable right now? And I remember I was working out, and I was heavily involved in my church in California. I just dove into everything as Costco Bible and with uh, Tuesday night men's Bible study and with the Wana and little by little that hole began to get filled by what I know now is the only thing I will ever fill it is Jesus. Ever since that day I stopped being angry about what was going on and the divorce and everything and I just started working on myself and changing and trying to be the man that God calls all of us to be. During one of our exchanges, so it would have been, I think, a couple years after we had been apart, he handed me this book. He opened up and said, I've been seeing this gentleman um, that, who counsels men on how to live more Christ-like lives, and here's this book that he had me read, and he'd like you to read it. And so I brought the book in the house, and I remember my mom asking, are you gonna read the book? And I remember saying, of course. I read the book and I wrote Maurice a letter also to go with it and just kind of explaining, now that we're two years removed from the situation, here's why I left. He texted me that he was crying reading the letter. 
When I started meeting with my mentor, um, it wasn't for Katie and I to get back together. It was, I knew that I had some things I needed to fix. He actually told me that we would get back together and I told him there's no way that's gonna happen. We, we just both really dislike each other at this time and that is <laughs> never gonna happen. There was one night we went out to dinner and it was to talk. We were just supposed to go out and just talk and it felt like the first time we ever went on a date together. It was completely different. We, we had a completely different relationship. I think we just knew that we were gonna get back together then. 2014, I believe, that we separated. We were just remarried over the summer. So we're newlyweds. <laughs> and again. <laughs> Our marriage now, compared to when we were married the first time is night and day difference. I spend more time in church. I spend more time at home with the family. I just feel like we're partners. We just connect now on a different level that we just didn't before. It really is just a more godly household. Jesus is where he should be and church is where he should be and they are number one on top of my list. We are just so thankful that we're back together and that we have each other and that we've been given a second chance. I love how Maurice said at that point in the video that there was a hole in him and the only thing that could fill it was Jesus. And Katie at one point says, you know, uh, we needed to have more Christ-like lives. And then the, the statement of the whole video for me was when Maurice said that now Jesus is where he should be number one in his life. See, these are not isolated statements. This was a very long journey that those two were on that had to go through a very difficult tunnel of chaos in which they realized that if their marriage was ever going to get right, if their spirituality was ever going to get right, it would only be because Jesus is in the rightful place in their lives, that Jesus is Lord of their lives. And that's exactly the point for you and I. I know it sounds too simple for some of you. I know it sounds maybe too easy. As I said, it's not easy at all. That video shows that. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there is grace to be found. There is help more than you could ever realize in life, especially even in marriage. But it can only come from the one who is Lord and asks us to submit to him as Lord. In fact, I'll say it this strongly and then we're going to move on. I have never met Two people who are absolutely sold out for Jesus who, who, who could not weather a storm in their marriage of any magnitude. There are things that hit a marriage that we're not prepared for, that knock us off center, that knock us completely off of our game. And yet Jesus is there as Lord in our life in order to be our all in all. He says, I'm a husband to the husbandless, a father to the fatherless. He is there for us when we need him most. But we have to submit to him. He has to have us where he wants us in order for any of that to be true. So track where we've come from today. A spiritual marriage, a spirituality in general, is biblically based, finding in the Bible our source of knowledge and insight. A spiritual marriage is Christ-centered, making Jesus Lord in everything. And then notice with me third, thirdly, we're running fast out of time, so we're going to whip through these last two, that a spiritual marriage is love-focused. It's love-focused. 
And again, I almost didn't put this point in because I don't know of a marriage today, Christian or not, that would not say that they are love-focused, right? Like anybody here think a marriage should not be love-focused? I don't think so. And so it almost seems so vanilla to say that a spiritual marriage is love-focused unless, of course, you have a definition of love that meets your robust spirituality. See, most people today define love from a Hallmark card or a Harlequin romance novel or, or, or a TV talk show. You and I don't. We define love the way the Bible does. Look at how the Bible defines love. This is kind of just a working definition for you. Just trust me. All this stuff is in the Bible. Love is a commitment to unrelenting acceptance of a person and consistently behaving toward him or her with his or her best interest in mind as opposed to one's own interest. That's love. Love is a commitment, not at core an emotion. Now, don't get me wrong. My dear wife is here. I'm very emotional about her. I love her. I tell her that all the time. We fight really well. We got lots of emotions in our marriage. But we understand that love at core is a choice. It's a commitment that we have toward each other. But it's a commitment to unrelenting acceptance. Now, this is the hot button. Some of you don't like this right now. You're saying there is no way I'm accepting him or her that you're mad at right now in your marriage. This will take the edge off. Notice I didn't say approval. And if you have kids, raise your hand if you have kids. Let me ask you, have there been times where you've disapproved of what your kid has done? Yes or no? Yeah. Uh, Does that mean you don't accept your child as your child? Of course not. You know that there's a difference between approving and accepting. But acceptance is very important because God accepted us even while we were still sinners in rebellion against him. So love is a commitment to unrelenting acceptance of a person and then behaves toward them with their best interest in mind, not your own. And by the way, this means you can be tough at times. Discipline is love. It's just that you're behaving not out of spite, not out of anger, but with their best interest in mind. Here's my point, because we gotta move on. If this is what you mean by love, then now you're ready to realize what the scripture promises if you love like this. Look at 1 Peter 4.8. It says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love is incredibly healing when it's that kind of love. Or how about 1 John 4, 6, 4, 18? It says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So though only Jesus can love us perfectly as we've already established, please don't miss that as we move toward a more perfect love with each other and especially in marriage, it becomes a very healing type of love. You know, the Bible believes in this type of love so strongly that in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says these three inarguable words, and that is love never fails. If you would have your marriage be that kind of love, God says, I'll get you through thick and thin. Make your, spirit, your spiritual marriage a love-focused marriage, the kind of love the Bible talks about. And then a fourth and final ingredient, and with this we're done, to a true spiritual marriage, a spiritual marriage is other-directed. It's other-directed. 
And, and again, some of you go, well, what, do you, what do you mean by other directed? Look at Philippians, uh, last verse, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And though we're just about out of time, in marriage, you know what this looks like? And I just love it when I see it because we see it all the time here at our church. What it means is, is that you as a couple don't just treat your marriage as your own little incubator, but you as a couple look out together as a couple and focus on the needs of others. Serve together, love others together, meet their needs together. And you guessed it, when you do that, when that's a part of your spirituality and marriage, it does nothing but strengthen the bond between the two of you. These are the notes that I wrote this week. I wrote the names of a bunch of marriages in our church right now. These are real people who have this kind of marriage, who have weathered storms, and yet they are other-directed even to this day in their marriage. And this is just a sample. The Maloofs, the Epleys, the Krejci's, the Freys, the Goebbels, the Leastons, the Kimmels, the Everroads, the Almonds. I mean, the list is endless in this church to strong and spiritual marriages. But make no mistake, part of what you'll see in them, and you gotta love this, is that they care about you together as a couple because they're other-directed. You know, as we wrap this up, I hope now you're able to see why I said 35 minutes ago that I, for one, am glad that our culture's into spirituality. Next time somebody mentions that they are not religious but spiritual, I hope you now know you have them where you want them. Because what you want to say to them is, and listen first, by the way, is tell me about your spirituality. What is it that you're spiritual about? And, and listen and let them talk. And then hopefully they'll say to you, well, what do you think of spirituality? And you're going to say, I'm glad you asked. Because the spirituality that I have in my marriage and in my parenting and in my personal life is biblically based, Christ-centered. It's other-directed and it's love-focused. Those four things alone are worth the weight, their weight in gold when it comes to you developing a kind of spirituality that can meet our world and your marriage where they are today. Closing thought and we're done because we have the communion table. There's a new show that just came on this week. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, some people are really offended by it. Christians have told me. I think the title of the show is God Friended Me. Yeah, it's Hollywood's version of trying to remain spiritual but not religious. And, and you know, now as these shows are coming out, and you're going to get more and more of these. Why? Because our culture doesn't want to be religious, but they want to be spiritual. Start to filter everything you hear through what we talked about today. I joked earlier that this is the best message on marriage you're ever going to hear. I still stand by that. You can see now why. Because none of this is my stuff. I, I got all this from the Bible. But to have the kind of spirituality that is based on the Bible, that has Jesus as Lord, that, that knows how to love and knows how to focus on others, you can filter everything Hollywood throws at you, everything Washington throws at you, everything your job throws at you, and you're now equipped to have the kind of spirituality that matters and the kind of marriage that God wants you to have. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I've never probably been more appreciative than today, Lord, for your word, because there's a lot at stake when we talk about marriage. There's a lot at stake when we talk about where culture is. There's a lot at stake when we talk about our very lives. And Lord, to know that you have seen fit to prepare us to live in the culture that we live in, to live in the marriage that we have, to have the kind of kids we have, all the things we have, Lord, 
that you've seen fit to repair us for that through the kind of spirituality that you intended. I'm just so grateful for that. And so, Father, I pray that as each one of us think about your word, your son, what it means to love, what it means to focus on others, God, as we do that today, would you continue to grow us up, mature us, equip us, as the Bible says, for every good work, and we'll give you great praise for what you do. Bring healing to our lives, healing to our marriages. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.